This is Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast, episode number 119. Today, our special guest is Lori Whiteman. We talked to Lori about her lessons from grief and what she's doing to help others. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. This is the only podcast that shows you how to leverage polarity intelligence, an essential competency for healthcare leaders and the missing logic in healthcare, so you can create healthy healing organizations and become a thriving, resilient, and unstoppable healthcare leader. We are your hosts, Tracy Christofferson and Michelle Troset. We've been best friends and colleagues for over 30 years. And during that time, we coached healthcare leaders across North America around how to create healthy healing organizations. Today, we coach healthcare leaders and leadership teams to live thriving, resilient, and balanced lives, combat burnout, and create the best places to give and receive care. This podcast is for the unsung hero of healthcare, the healthcare leader. We want you to know we see you and we'll be here for you each week. In this podcast, we're going to challenge healthcare's industry norms, flip limiting beliefs, and share proven strategies so you can be your best self at working at home live and lead intentionally and experience well-being and joy. We are glad you are here and look forward to sharing the journey with you. If you aren't totally convinced this podcast is for you, just listen to a few episodes and convince yourself. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast. This is Tracy. And it's Michelle. Welcome back. Welcome back. Another glorious day. Yes, it is. Uh (laughs) Here we are in the podcast studio, just having tons of fun. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And we had a delightful interview today. Yes, we did. Yeah. And it's with a dear friend and colleague from a long time ago. Uh, She comes from West Michigan, and we can't wait for you to hear what she's been up to. Yeah, yeah. And she is really just a very delightful, easy to talk with kind of person, right? Just so down to earth and so articulate as a leader. And uh, she's going to be sharing um, some of the information that was in an article that she wrote on really her experience, personal experience with grief. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, just kind of the realities of experiencing grief and, you know, what that is, what that looks like for people these days, you know? And I think she's got some really fresh perspectives on that. Yeah, she does. And she took her own personal learnings on that and she is really committed to helping her organization and other healthcare organizations support their employees that are going through grief and she's making some great strides. Yeah, she is. And, you know, kudos to her for Mm -hmm. applying what she's learned personally to the bigger picture these days, right? Where it's desperately needed. So we're talking about Lori Whiteman and let me introduce you to her. So Lori Whiteman is the Senior Vice President and Chief Nursing Officer at SCL Health. And in her role, she is responsible for the overall leadership of patient care services across the health system ministry, which includes eight hospitals in Colorado and Montana. She also provides clinical oversight for the health system's clinics in Kansas, Colorado, and Montana. This is a busy lady, right? Mm -hmm. She joined SEL Health from Monument Health in Rapid City, South Dakota, where she served as System Chief Nursing Officer and Chief Nursing Officer of the Flagship Hospital in Rapid City, South Dakota. 
Prior to joining Regional Health, she served as a chief nursing officer in other various leadership positions with Trinity Health, which is based in Livonia, Michigan. Lori earned her doctorate of nursing practice from Rush University in Chicago, Illinois, and the focus of her doctoral work was talent management. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Yes. She received both her master's of science degrees in nursing and bachelor's science in nursing from Grand Valley State University in Allendale, Michigan. That's a place near and dear to our hearts. Oh, yes. Right? And she has served in academic positions at Grand Valley State and Saginaw State Universities in Michigan. She's an executive coach and enjoys coaching and mentoring leaders. So without further ado, here is our interview with Lori. Hi, Lori. Welcome to Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast. We're so excited to have you as our guest today. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's an honor to be here, and it's nice to reconnect with you both from my past. Yes, we always like to bring phenomenal people from our past back into our present, and you're one of them. <laughs> yeah, it's just oh. great to have you here. Yes, Thank yes. Mm-hmm. And for our listeners, you know, Lori used to live in Michigan where Tracy and I live, and for the last many years, um, she's had her home in several other states in the United States. And Lori, why don't you tell our listeners where your career has taken you and where you currently live and work? Thank you. I have been richly blessed with my career journey, and it has taken me across the country. As you know, most of my career was in West Michigan, in the Michigan area. And then I had the opportunity to go to California, to South Dakota, and now Colorado, where I live in the Boulder, Colorado area, north of Denver. And I work for SCL Health as the System Chief Nursing Officer um, SCL Health is um, a health system that covers Kansas, Montana, and Denver. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot of territory. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, yeah it's, wow. it's eight, eight hospitals and about 160 clinics. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Well, you know, we know that West Michigan is near and dear to your heart. So what do you miss yeah. most about it? I'd say the mo- what I miss the most is living by my parents. As mm-hmm. my parents get older, I really wish I could spend more time with them. But in addition to my parents, I would say Lake Michigan. I love the lake. And um, the mountains are beautiful, but there are no Lake Michigans out here. That's for sure. <laughs> Lake Michigan is like an ocean when you look at it from the shore. It's so huge, right? It yeah. is. It is. Yeah. I, w- I was actually kind of curious if that's what you were going to say. <laughs> wonder if she's going to say Lake Michigan. <laughs> it is beautiful. It is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, Lori, we are very grateful uh, and honored to have you on our podcast today. And uh, we know that you lost your husband and best friend uh, mm-hmm. in 2018. And yeah. first of all, we're just very sorry for mm-hmm. your loss. Thank um, you. Truly. And um, early this year, you published an article in Nurse Leader. It was actually just published in August mm-hmm. on your lessons learned through your grief. And it was mm-hmm. such a timely article at this time of a COVID pandemic and so much grief uh, in our patients, in our frontline staff, um, and with, you know, as leaders. And, um, and just really what it means today in as mm-hmm. 2020 going forward. Right, and right. so we really, I, the article came across and I was like, oh my gosh, this is Lori and 
this is her story and you're, you've taken it to another, you know, another level with sharing your story. But before we get started and talk about that, we'd like to know a little bit about your best friend, Elle Whiteman. And um, we both know, Tracy and I, how important it is to have a supportive yeah. spouse and life partner when you're a busy healthcare leader. And we really want to hear just a little bit about your, your love and your story before we ask you what you've learned about grief. <laughs> It was funny. Um, my husband was in the same line of work as my father, and he was this single, hardworking guy. And my parents used to invite him over for dinner, like on Friday evenings, to kind of. My mom wanted to take care of him. My dad commented one time, "He only seems to be showing up for dinner when you're coming home from college for the weekend." I'm starting to get suspicious. And sure enough, he asked me out, and the rest is history. We were married for over 30 years. We have two beautiful daughters and two great son-in-laws. I only have grand dogs at this point. But my uh, daughter, Lisa, and son-in-law, John, will be fixing that soon. I'm going to have my first granddaughter in January. Um, Al was a really strong supporter of my career journey. He um, pushed me um, to take risks pushed me sometimes when I didn't even want to be pushed. I credit my master's and doctoral programs to his pushing. And he really helped me grow to my full potential as a leader. He even stepped back in his career to support me in living my dream. Oh, that's so awesome. Mm -hmm. And again, we can... We can really relate to that. Yeah, I've got one of those who's pushed me through a bachelor's, a master's, and a PhD. So I, I <laughs> yeah. totally can relate. <laughs> he believes in he believed in strong women, strong independent women, and um, he had his hands full with three of us at home. Oh, I <laughs> oh bet. yes, yes, I bet he did. Uh, a lot of lessons there for Al. <laughs> <laughs> Well, one of the things uh, that you point out early in the article is how quickly, you know, you learn that grief is unique to each person. Like everyone walks their different path with grief. And that one of your key ahas early on was it it wasn't anything you could, you know, air quote control, right? Um, so tell our listeners what you learned about grief in those early stages. Yeah, you know, um, Ellen struggled with health issues about the last 15 years of our marriage. And so we had ups and downs with his health. And I learned to push through those periods of time of health issues and compartmentalize things and just keep moving, right? Knowing that there would be an end point. And I really hung on to a Harvard Business Review article that talked about there is no work-life balance. It's all about riding the waves. And I would just ride the waves and get to a point where things were calm seas again, and we would just move on. I found that grief really is a tidal wave. It knocks you out of your boat. There is no um, compartmentalizing or using normal coping strategies. Um, I was dazed, confused, forgetful, um, just like I had gotten hit with a giant wave. And my emotions were not controllable, which was really frustrating for me because I tend to be extremely calm and collected. I mean, I pride myself on being a calm leader. And um, just the range of emotions that I could no longer control was really frustrating. But I find that... Um, all people experience grief a little bit differently. Um, 
The dazed, confused feeling is something that you see repeatedly in the literature. But grief can be a loss of a job. It can be the loss of a patient. It can be um, just even change in norms, which I think we're seeing through the pandemic, right? The grieving Mm -hmm. response is being elicited by a lot of different things. I think it's brought it front and center to us that grieving is more than just um, the loss of a loved one. That's so important. It is. Right, to recognize. And I think sometimes... I think sometimes people do compartmentalize that, right? They they kind of don't know that's only, I haven't lost anybody, you know, but loss occurs in a lot of different ways. So to mm-hmm. your point, I think that's just so, so important to know that. I think resiliency is another interesting component of this in that people have different levels of resiliency and they do have different coping mechanisms, right? Unfortunately, one of the things I worry about is um, people using drugs, alcohol, and other um, methods to medicate themselves, um, another form of compartmentalization, right? Um, So it's really important for us to address all the grieving that we see in our communities today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think sometimes, um, to your point, there's a lot of different things you can grieve about is you may not even recognize what you're experiencing is grief. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it takes, I know I shared with you, Lori, that my father passed away in January of 2020. And sometimes it was Tracy that would have to remind me, you're still grieving (laughs) Mm because you do think, okay, I've, I've dealt with that. Now let's move on. But it, it, that wave does come again and again, Mm -hmm. and and you don't Mm -hmm. always, you're not in control when that happens to your point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What I've explained to people that I've coached around grief is that you have the tidal wave and then you have big waves and then you have smaller and smaller waves. So if you think of Lake Michigan, you never really get to a calm uh, glass-like lake again because your life is different. So you'll just have to respond to those little bumps and those little bumps become more and more manageable regardless of what your grief experience is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's so true. That's so true. And it it lasts for a long, long time. I mean, I lost both my parents in the same year. And um, like you, right, you compartmentalize, you do what you got to do. You're moving through each of those moments, you know. Mm-hmm. But even, you know, 16 years later, you can get hit with a weight, like something will just hit you, right? Mm-hmm. And you still are recognizing the significance of the loss in that moment, yeah. right? Yeah. And to your point, you can handle it better, but still mm-hmm. you can get one of those waves 20 years later that'll knock mm-hmm. you down, right? Just, mm-hmm. yeah, because I think you're le- expecting them less <laughs> the longer, you know, yeah. the longer the time frame. But let's um let's talk a little bit too about just your intention in writing the article and that mm-hmm. really it wasn't only just to help other grievers, but to help organizations understand grieving, right? And mm-hmm. you know, kind of put better support systems in place because of a depth of understanding. So tell mm-hmm. our listeners a little bit, what are some of your recommendations to healthcare organizations? And what are you what are you doing inside your own organization around this? Thank you. Uh, yes, my mission moving forward, especially as we remain in this pandemic, is to educate leaders on grief and how to be an effective leader in handling grief amongst your employees. It's important before the pandemic, but it's even more important now. I'm working to raise awareness in organizations about the effect of, of 
the importance of effectively managing grief. I, I find that we get mandatory HR training around safety, sexual harassment, all these things. Um, I really think organizations need to consider how to um, provide grief education to leaders at every level of the organization. It requires a different leadership skill set and a different um, style of leadership, a, a compassionate leader. Um, so that's what I'm trying to do. We, we need to move beyond the HR policies and employee assistance programs. Um, leaders need to understand and identify the different stages of grief. To your point earlier, we don't always know that we're grieving or that we're struggling, and we need leaders to reach out. You can't just say nothing and hope grief goes away. We have to have leaders that are comfortable having communications with grieving individuals and providing coaching. I talk about, think about coaching them and growing in their development. It's no different in coaching them through a grieving experience that they might be having and educating our employees about the post-traumatic growth, that there is an end point where people can live and lead healthy, happy lives again. And leaders need to know how to move people through those stages of grief um, to get to the other side, so to speak. I think mm-hmm. leaders also have to understand their own bias, their own lens. How we were raised and how we were raised to experience death and loss is is a big impact. And I, I, each leader needs to self-evaluate where they, how they view death or grieving. Um, to some people, for example, the loss of their pet is just like losing a human being. And we can't judge, right? For me, I would agree with that individual. The loss of my doggy would be detrimental, but other people don't think that way. It's just a dog, right? We can't judge. We just can't judge, and we have to learn to to understand our biases. And then understand what are the effective strategies. Um, I found in my experience, and then as I've worked with people in the pandemic, we need to provide structure. We need to call out the behaviors that we're seeing we need to offer flexibility. In the nursing world, if a nurse can't work a 12-hour shift, can we offer them a six-hour shift? How do we ensure they're getting rest breaks, reserving their energy? Because when you're going through a grieving process, you have very little energy. And you and often, like me, I didn't eat. I didn't want to eat. I didn't feel like eating. So How do we help people make sure they're getting meal breaks, they're getting rest periods at work, we're managing their schedule around their needs? There's a lot to do with that. And finally, leaders need to be compassionate. And I know I mentioned that earlier, but um, this is a time in our country where we need to have compassionate leaders. Firm leaders, right? I mean, we have to build some structure and make clear expectations for people. For me, when I talk to nurses that are grieving, it's like patient safety and quality care are are non-negotiables. And if you can't show up where you feel like you can deliver safe patient care, then you shouldn't be at work, right? Just trying to make those expectations really clear for people. Mm-hmm. What are we doing at SCL Health? Well, we offer all the traditional HR strategies that everyone else is. 
um, in adding strategies around well-being, mental health. I know a lot of organizations are doing that, and that's wonderful. I think one thing we're doing differently that I'm really proud of is we're, um, we have a campaign that we're calling Enhancing the Caregiver Experience. And we're trying to make the caregivers' lives easier through technology, through our staffing and scheduling practices, um, workflows, everything. But a big component of this experience project is rolling out um, relationship-based care principles in a little bit different way. The first four months was focused on caring for oneself. And everything we educated on, talked about, the whole focus was on how do you care for yourself. Meals, exercise, sleep, mental health, resources, and coaching. And now we're moving into caring for one another, where we're trying to create compassion and support and rebuild teamwork, right? And then finally, we're going to move into, as we get into the holidays, caring for our patients and families in hopes that we can get people in a place mentally and spiritually where they can reconnect with their patients and families. Because we know that that connection is what gives providers and caregivers <laughs> reward and joy in their work. They're just not in a place where they can get that right now. They just can't connect. So we have to help them through this connecting with themselves, connecting with their colleagues, and then finally they'll be able to find that joy in the connection with their patients. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited to um, have that going on at SCL Health right now. Mm -hmm. Wow, that sounds great. Yeah, that sounds great. Absolutely. And I'm really glad that you've mentioned kind of the structure and flexibility. I mean, that's an interdependent pair. You really have to have both, right? You need to have mm -hmm. that structure for the guidance and yet... Because this is such a unique um, experience for every person, there needs to be that flexibility mm -hmm. and that allowance. And I think you mentioned in your article too, I mean, you know, even re-looking at the policies around grieving, like five, you get five days or in some cases it's less than that, right? Yeah. So there is no way that you are going to have moved through the grief, you know, process in five days, right? But mm -hmm. there's that expectation that it's over. Now come back and be productive. And I think the other thing I'm hearing you say is compassion is so important. So to me, it's that, yes, we need to have a productive workforce, right? And so that, of course, is, you know, uh, an organization's concern. But at the same time, we need those healthy relationships between the leader and the individual that's going through this experience. And I think that those are a couple of, you know, different um, mm -hmm. polarities, interdependent pairs that you really have to pay attention to. I'm glad you brought those forth. That's really important. It's hard to create that flexibility, especially with such a workforce shortage right now. Yeah. But um, this is not soft stuff. That's why I yeah. tell the executives and the non-clinical people who may not have an exact idea of what's happening at the bedside or for our physicians or our other clinical caregivers like nurses. Um, this is all about retaining our important workforce, um, mm -hmm. reducing turnover, keeping people healthy. And when you keep people healthy, you reduce the risk of safety issues, of errors, improves that quality of care. There's a really strong business case about investing in people's well-being and mental health and making sure they're taking care of themselves when they show up to work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's really important right now because 
you know, the front line, they really need to be listened to right now and Mm -hmm. have that sense of, you know, it isn't just about bringing new workforce in all the time. It really is important to create a culture in a work environment where I want to stay. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think you just mentioned a couple of benefits, right, of these is, right, having that healthy workforce, decreasing errors, um, increasing connection. What are some other benefits of really having a strong grieving, you know, program, like to support people with grief? What, what do you see as some of the benefits of that? I think one another benefit is reduced days off work. Um, we, we have a lot of... Uh, even if they were to stay within the organization, you, you can have a high number of ill days, which are unplanned time off, which is actually sometimes more impactful than an actual vacancy because you're expecting people to be there. So um, reducing that time off, reducing physical injury as well to our associates. Um, and then, of course, I mentioned the patient safety, and that to me is the number one reason for keeping people healthy at work is keeping our patients safe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So important. Mm-hmm. Sure is. So, Laura, you shared with us in the beginning that you're currently a you know a system chief nurse executive, and so you're a leader, you know, with the front line. And um, we were curious how you would describe the current state of the workforce. As we continue on with COVID, you know, we're like, you know, going into our second year almost mm-hmm. of this ongoing pandemic. So how would you describe the workforce today as they deal with this? You know, I, I'm concerned, you know, I've been a nurse for a very long time and um, I have never seen the workforce in the position that it is today. Um I think historically as a caregiver, you manage a crisis, a patient crisis or a community crisis, and it's time limited. You have time to recover and you go on. And this has been like a never ending crisis and nobody really knows the end point to it. And I think that that no end point and the length of time this has went on has, um, really impacted our workforce. Um, Fatigue, grieving, as I spoke of earlier. Um, I think we talked about um, burnout before the pandemic. I think the pandemic has moved us kind of beyond just normal burnout. We're in a place of people being in moral distress and um, just real severe fatigue. And I'm even seeing anger now. It's Mm -hmm. interesting. Um, Since the vaccination um, became available and became available broadly, it's really hard for tired caregivers to keep being faced with people who have not taken the opportunity to vaccinate and now they're very, very ill. And not only are they impacted with that and have that frustration, I think the other thing we're seeing right now in a separate note is an increase of just volume anyway, non-COVID patients, Mm. but just everybody delayed care for two years. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, everybody yeah. just kind of, I'm not going to the hospital. I'm not going to the doctor. And so now we're seeing really complex, higher acuity patients occupying our hospitals in greater numbers. So I think that is a component of what drives some of the frustration as well. They People want to have the room to take care of the patients who have been delaying care. And we have a lot of patients who have... Um, not taking the opportunity to become vaccinated and protect themselves. As you can see, I'm very pro-vaccination. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, you're not the first leader we've heard that from. That That's a trend they're seeing now. It's just, it's, yeah. it's, um, it's, it's getting really, really hard because yeah. they're working caregivers so hard. Are, mm-hmm. Caregivers are leaving the profession, which mm-hmm. is scary at a time where we're already going to be short a million nurses. Um, that's the projection. Um, they're also moving just for change in venue. Um, I had a nurse at one of our big hospitals here in Denver say to me, people don't understand. You know, when you lose a loved one, you have closure, right? You yeah. bury the individual, you have the funeral, you step away from it. You don't have to go back there. She says, every day I come into this ICU, I relive my trauma every day. Yeah. And so she was needing to leave our organization just for a change in venue. Just She had to come to a different work environment every day to feel like she could cope with what she had been through through the pandemic. And her story, I think, is a really important one. While we're seeing so much movement in the organization today, people need a change of venue. Um, I also see people traveling. And there's a lot of negativity about um Nurses traveling to make all this money and like they're taking advantage of um, the situation. You know, a lot of nurses are the primary wage earners for their families. They're taking advantage of this financial opportunity to take care of their unemployed spouse, to take care of their children who now need homeschooling or different um, caretaking um, expenses. And we can't blame people for traveling for a period of time and trying to make themselves better economically, paying off homes and student loans. And so I see that happening. I see that being cyclical. Eventually, people will Mm -hmm. decrease that travel need. Mm -hmm. That's also a way people are trying to change their venue, their work venue, right? right? Right. I think eventually that will will settle down. But um, there's a very transient time right now in healthcare as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a lot to think about, um, and it, again, that's not an either-or situation either. They are they are taking advantage economically, and they're still serving. Right? They're yeah. still they're still providing service. Yeah. Um, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So for people, we have we have listeners to our podcast from really all different roles from all over the country. And um, what would you want them to know about your day-to-day realities? I think as an executive of a health system, my day-to-day realities are trying to source the caregivers and the organization, source them with uh, to meet their needs, not only to take care of patients, but to take care of themselves. And, It's very stressful because it's more and more difficult to ensure capacity 
um, is available to people who need care. Access to care is a, a growing challenge. And just having enough capable, healthy mind, body, and spirit caregivers to fulfill the demands um, is stressful. Uh, the, the pandemic has brought unique stresses to each component of healthcare, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I think a lot, you know, a lot of attention has been given to the here to the front line, to the caregivers. You know, and Michelle, I always say rightfully so, right? They're carrying a huge yes. burden every day. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, but the leaders are too. The leaders are behind them trying to hold them up to your point. All the things that you're trying to do, while it's not hands-on care, right, and the same kind of stress that that is, it's a different level of stress and a different level of trauma and challenge that has been sustained for you as well. And, you know, that's where we just, you know, our hearts go out to everybody. But we know that if the leader folds, the organization folds. So you're so, so important. And it's just, you know, you have such a, you know, a healthy awareness of what's happening and an attitude, you know, because you're right. Some leaders are angry that their staff are leaving to, you know, to travel, to take advantage, which is just a reason, you know, just another example of the stress, right? That, you know, they wouldn't probably normally feel that way, but because of everything piling on, right? You kind of have those kinds of emotions. It's a grieving process. That's probably a part of it as well, right? Their organization is changing in ways they don't have any control over and, you know, they want to, uh, like mm-hmm. you, provide really quality, safe care, right? So it just a lot of leaders are even stepping to the bedside to provide that hands-on yeah. care. So a lot of those first-line leaders are not only trying to do their jobs, but they're also delivering care to patients, and they're trying to balance that fine line between helping their staff actual physically hands-on care and helping their staff make sure they're resourced appropriately. It is a, it's a challenging time. And I don't mean to be negative. I'm trying to share the realities. I'm confident we have a lot of really bright leaders throughout this country. We have a lot of hardworking, dedicated caregivers that are in service to ensuring patients receive quality care. We will get to a place of post-traumatic growth. Mm-hmm. It's just finding our way there. And it, it we can't talk about things going back to normal because there, it's going to be a new normal. So right. how do we adjust in this new normal and find a place where we can find comfort and joy and meaning again in our work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so important. And I think the other thing too is, right, is to be, um, to maintain your own health and well-being during the process, right? Because we can't wait for this to end to work on that. So, you know, as you know, Michelle and I have been working with leaders to really help them thrive, to be resilient, to live balanced lives during all of this. And, you know, it's just such a challenging time. But we just wondered, what what are you doing to kind of maintain your own health and well-being and be strong and resilient during this time? Well, first, let me thank the two of you for the work that you're doing. I I think more and more effort and focus needs to be placed on building that resiliency and that strength within our people. So thank you for that. 
Um, I would say first and foremost, my faith gives me a lot of strength and hope Mm -hmm. for the future. Um, I take time to eat and to sleep. And this seems simple, right? But um, I was the incident commander for the health system for 366 days and basically 24-7. And I had to really think about eating and sleeping in order to stay in a place where I could lead a system during a time of a pandemic. So um, I would encourage people to try and monitor your sleep and food intake for just one week and see if you have opportunities for improvement. I sure did. Um, I also found I needed to be intentional about restoring my mind and my spirit. Um, my spirit through my faith, um, but my mind and spirit both typically get um, adjusted on the back of one of my horses. So <laughs> I, it's important to have a hobby that can he- help give you peace and give you an opportunity to step away and relax. And my horses do that for me. Um, I'm also more intentional as we move through the pandemic about connecting with friends and family. Mm-hmm. And being, you know, every week I have two or three people on in my calendar that I'm going to reach out and connect with. And just to remind myself the importance of staying connected and balanced um, through a difficult time. Yeah. As a leader, people depend on us to show up and lead um, through times of change and times of challenge. And um, we have to show up with our tanks full. And the only way to do that is to care for ourselves. Yeah. Like the oxygen max, um, oxygen mask on the airplane, right? right. Care for yourself before you put it on others. That's right. (laughs) Because you can't help them if you don't have any oxygen. That's right. But you just made me think of something. I think I'm going to have to change my hobby. Because, you know, I take my hobby as golf. Now, let me tell you, that doesn't necessarily bring me a lot of peace. I bet not. No, I, I was thinking not. I didn't have such a great game on the course the other day, and I went out just to kind of get a break, right? And, and no. I was, no, I think I'm going to have to get a new hobby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> At I, least for could, one that's going to give me a sense of peace. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 99% of the time, my horses do that for me. Yeah. Or it's walking my three labs. I have three labs, and I just go out and hike here in the beautiful Mountains of Colorado, mm-hmm. and it's just, you have to get in a place where you can restore, yes, right? Exactly. So. Yeah, and you're exactly. in such beautiful nature. Oh, yes. Oh, such yeah. beautiful nature to Love do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those yeah. are all great, great examples, Lori. <clears throat> yeah, that, they um, are. I yeah. think our listeners will really, you know, mm-hmm. pay attention to and maybe think about how well they do those things as well. So that's re- thank you for sharing those. Yeah. Okay, Lori, it's time for the missing questions. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs> the famous missing the famous questions. missing questions. Um, yeah, because and we do this because we really we learned a lot about you, um, primarily professionally, but also personally as well today. But we mm-hmm. like to ask questions so people get to know you know the other side of Lori as well. Okay. And uh, so we're just going to ask you a couple fun questions and um, and then a wrap up question. So our first question is. Well, we know you love your furry friends. We already knew that about you. And this might be a really a hard question to answer, but whatever the answer is, what is your favorite animal and why? Oh, no. It's a tie. (laughs) Can I have a tie? Absolutely. Oh. 
my horses and my dogs. I don't know which is better. They they f- they fill me in different ways. So I I I would say horses and dogs. Yeah, absolutely. Have you, have you had horses for a long time? All my life. I've never not had a horse. Mm, wow. Yeah. Not too many people can say that. Uh-uh. No, and I have five now. So as you can see, I'm not good at limiting myself either. <laughs> <laughs> so when Tracy co- and I come out to Colorado to visit you someday, we can go horseback riding with you? You bet. Uh, I Beautiful out here. I yeah. haven't been horseback riding since I was probably 12 or 13. Oh, I wow. Think. Yeah. I wow, haven't that been would be for fun. a long time either. That would be fun. That yeah, would be. All right. Let's put that on our list. Okay. All right, and then what would you say your top strength is as a leader? Hmm. Well, having led through the pandemic and the instant commander role, I would say the people spoke the most about my composure. Um, Calm, composed, don't get really wound up. And I, I just think that's from my years of um, adjusting to Al's health issues and different things. There, there's just nothing that can be <laughs> bad enough to get worked up. So hopefully that that's why I'm told it would be a strength is being able to lead in a way that's calm, composed, keeps people reassured and relaxed and having hope and faith for what we're doing is the right thing. Well, that's a great strength to have. Yeah, absolutely. And to have it affirmed by others. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure your faith is a part of that as well, right? Mm -hmm. You just have a faith. Everything will turn out, right? Exactly how it's meant to. Yep. Yeah, Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, our wrap-up question has to do with um, polarities and polarity intelligence. You know, we teach individuals about, you know, interdependent pairs that values or perspectives that appear to be different or opposite. And, and um, one of the things about that is really kind of this concept of both and right, and that you need two, you need both interdependent pairs in order to get to that greater purpose. And, and sometimes we have a preference poll. <laughs> sometimes we prefer one more than the other. And it's just really important to know that because it can be a bias. And we talked about that earlier. Yeah. Um, but when you think about rest and activity, where would be your preference? I would say... Rest comes to mind because I am so active all the time that I need, I have to think about, and I, I'm drawn to rest. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yep. So you're, I'm, you're already automatically dynamically balancing those two with each other. Yeah. Because you, you are an I, active person, but you prefer yeah. Rest, yeah. Well, I think um, one thing that I would comment is I I'm an introvert through and through, and I have to push my energy all day to do the kind of work that I do. So, um, you know, I need to give my brain a turn off in a in a rest period for me to really kind of re-energize. I just know that about myself, and um, if I don't do it, I get grumpy. 
<laughs> You're not alone. <laughs> You're really not alone. Oh, that was wonderful. Well, thank you for answering our missing questions. Yes, thank you so much, yeah. Lori. And thank yeah. you for taking the time to be with us and to share your your just in, your incredible journey and lessons, um, both you know personally with the loss of Alan, what you learn about grief, but and we just give you such kudos for then taking it to the next level of sharing that wisdom with others and then making a difference in your yeah. own healthcare system. And your, I think your article will touch a lot of different leaders as well, too. And we certainly wanted to have you on the podcast to continue to spread that message of how important it is, of how we look at grief and we provide mm-hmm. a space for our caregivers and mm-hmm. ourselves as leaders to grieve as well. Yeah, and I, I think it's such an important time for the message. You know, yeah. there's, uh, again, that awareness that grief grief is unique to each person. It happens at its own pace, right? You go through things uh, at, at, at whatever pace is right for you. And, uh, and that we are grieving right now, individually, organizationally, nationally. You know, like, there's a lot of grief happening. I think just that awareness and the need to change the policies, change the practices so that we can support each other. It's a very, very, you know, as important as anything else that we're doing right now to support each other. So thank you for the message and sharing that with our listeners. Yes. Oh, it's such a pleasure to get to come and and talk with you both. Thank you so much. And I'm happy to um, help anyone that wants to reach out and wants to learn more about how to support their organizations or needs more information about our enhancing the caregiver experience. However I can help, I'm happy to do that. Great. Great. That's great. We will put your contact information in our show notes, and we'll also put uh, the reference to the article, too, Lori. Yeah. Oh, awesome. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. Definitely. Definitely. Okay, listeners, this is a wrap for another episode of Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. And um, we just ask that you stay safe and healthy going forward. And Lori, we just want to thank you again for a great episode. Yeah, thank you, Lori. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Bye, everybody. Bye. enjoyed this episode of Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast, now a top-rated podcast for healthcare leaders. Please share this podcast with other healthcare leaders and anyone else you think would benefit. We are certain that if you found value in it, they will too. If you haven't already done so, please hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. And also, it would mean the world to us if you took a quick moment to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast player. It helps to get the word out about our podcast and incredible guests. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel if you want to watch our podcasts. You can also follow us on our Missing Logic social media channels, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Until next time.